Journey to Organization, episode 129, Two Bishvats. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to the Journey to Organization podcast. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Bigan Personal Organization, and today I want to talk to you about Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat was this week, and in case you don't know what it is, it's the holiday for the trees, the new year for the trees, basically. Uh, and you would think that Tu Bishvat would be my favorite holiday, right? <laughs> but... I wanted to talk about what Tubishvat means a little bit to me and some interesting insights that I have read from uh, Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. When I was a kid, uh, Tubishvat wasn't a thing, right? Maybe we would sing Tubishvat Yigia, Tubishvat is coming, and Ashkedia Porachat, the almond tree is blossoming, right? But I don't remember ever having a seder, having any sort of ceremony or anything. And when my kids got to school, uh, we one year for Shabbat with our uh, shul, with our Beit Knesset, our synagogue, we uh, we did a seder on Shabbat because Tu B'Shvat fell out on Shabbat. And I was in charge of arranging it with the youth group leaders. And it was just like such an amazing, phenomenal experience to me. And it was so great. We used red grape juice and white grape juice, and we mixed them until one turned into the other, right? It's just this beautiful thing where you have four cups, and then you have make the brachot on the fruit. And it was a really great way to feel like we were getting in touch with nature and uh, the point of Tubishvat, which is to celebrate not only the trees, but specifically the almond tree and how it's is in blossom. It's the first tree really in Israel to blossom. And it's it's beautiful. If you've ever seen an almond tree in bloom, they they have beautiful flowers. The thing about the difference between living in Israel and living outside of Israel is that when you don't live in Israel, you don't really appreciate all of the commandments that pertain to nature. And there's a lot of them, <laughs> and agriculture. And I think it, to me, I, I think in general, we are very removed from agriculture as a society. We don't know where our food comes from. We don't know how it gets to us. Uh, we don't really understand in general how it's grown, like what it takes to be successful at growing. Uh, and we don't care about throwing away byproducts of things that we eat in the garbage when really they can be returned to the earth. One of the things that I read about Tubishvat was, and I've spoken about this before, which is the mitzvah of Baltashrit, the mitzvah of not wasting. And the basis for that mitzvah is a pasuk about, a passage about how during the times of war, we shouldn't lay waste to trees, especially fruit trees, just to bring more destruction. And uh, the Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he says that the world belongs to God 
And we know that because in the first Pasuk of Breshit in Genesis, it says that God created the world, right? He created it. He can lay down the rules for how we should live in the world. And a lot of times I get calls from ladies who say, why shouldn't I use plastic dishes? It saves me time and it makes my life better. And Hashem put these things in the world for me to use. And I can hear that. And I appreciate that on a visceral level because time is the one of our only resources that is not renewable. We can't bank it. We can't grow more of it. We can't save it for later. We can't multiply it. We can't get more. We can't buy more. We can't trade for more. We get what we get and we don't even know how much we're going to get. We never know when the time is going to run out. So I can appreciate really when when people say to me, I have to use disposables because I need to save time and I don't have the time or the energy or the strength to stand at the sink at the end of the night and wash dishes. And so, dear ladies, I understand you when you say you don't have the time to do the dishes. But let me quote you two passages that are written here in English, what the Rambam said and what Rabbi Sachs wrote in his article. The first one is, is that the Rambam points out land which is overexploited eventually erodes and loses its fertility. The Israelites were therefore commanded to conserve the soil by giving it periodic fallow years, not pursuing short-term gain at the cost of long-term desolation. With regards to the rules of Baltashlit, Rambam says, not only does this apply to trees, but also whoever breaks vessels or tears garments, destroys a building, blocks a wellspring of water, or destructively wastes food, transgresses the co- transgresses the commandment of Baltashlit. When you shop without purpose, when you use when you use single-use disposable items, when you make more food than you need to and throw it away, all these things are wasting material resources. And a lot of them are renewable. A lot of them are. Food is renewable. Food, we can grow more, right? Um, we can always grow more cotton to make more clothing. We can always, you know, find more petroleum or some other source that can make plastics, right? But when we don't understand where these items come from or how much effort they take to get to us, it is a problem that is much deeper than the things that we use. You see, to make a cotton t-shirt, let's say, takes thousands of gallons of water to grow the cotton, not to mention all the petroleum it takes to actually manufacture the the garment itself and then the people who sew it and and shipping it to your door. And when we're thinking about, you know, I want something new, I want something more, I want something better, what we're doing is we're saying what we have is not enough and we are not satisfied with what we have. 
And it's true that we're people and we get bored and we want new things. But there's a difference between going to get new things that are newly manufactured and, let's say, secondhand things. Maybe somebody has something that they're not using that you can take advantage of without going to have to buy new things. Or maybe you can use what you already have in a brand new way so that it becomes more useful to you. So today I had a client and she was in the over 60 crowd and she had a lot, a lot of clothes. And she, when we finished today, I think I took about, I don't know, 10, 10 or 12 trash bags worth of stuff out of her house. And when we were finished today, she said to me, she couldn't believe how much stuff that we took out, but also that she felt so free and light. And she had beautiful clothes. Much of it was very expensive and very good quality. A lot of it had gotten ruined uh, from damage uh, and it was improperly cared for and it needed to be recycled. But what I found was that the relief she felt from actually having a carefully cultivated collection of clothes was, you know, enormous for her. And not only that, but when we started the day, I said, imagine that you are the curator at a museum and you are about to approach this amazing collection of clothing and you have to exhibit the very, very best pieces. What are you going to exhibit? And when we, I said, you're the curator. <laughs> and when we actually sat down and started going through everything piece by piece, she, I could see her in her mind saying, this is a good piece. This isn't a good piece. This was so, like I've had this forever and look how current and beautiful it is. And what was amazing about her wardrobe was most of the stuff in her wardrobe was well over 25 years old. But she had spent money on fabulous, beautiful pieces. And they looked new. They were quality items and they were amazing. <laughs> there were these beautiful black dresses and sweaters that were in very good condition and sweater sets and coats and everything. She had this one beautiful camel hair coat. It was gorgeous. And I said, this is so beautiful. She's like, oh, that old schmata, it's 30 years old. <laughs> and it was in perfect condition. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And what I always try to say to people and what I hope the message that comes across loud and clear today for you is when you buy, when you spend money, if you buy the best quality things you can buy from manufacturers that take care of the environment and are using quality products, your clothes will last longer and you will be happier in the long run. Not only that, but if you go ahead and you spend a little bit extra and buy quality pieces with fabulous lines, like really good quality, classic looking pieces, not the trendy, stay away from the trendy stuff, but really fabulous, you know, 
classic looking pieces, you will get more out of your dollars than if you buy the same amount of stuff, the same amount of money's worth of stuff from a lesser quality retailer. Now you can say to me, I don't have the money to buy something, you know, super great. A lot of super great stuff isn't super expensive. I want to tell you about a pair of socks that I bought for my son. I bought him a pair of $11 socks. And I thought to myself, OMG, I'm nuts. <laughs> Why would I buy a 13-year-old an $11 pair of socks, right? And I ordered these socks for him and I got them for him. And I mostly, he needed new socks and I wanted to I wanted to see what they were like. And it happens to be that at this point, he's growing at a spectacular rate and we wear about the same size shoe. <laughs> and so I uh, I thought, oh, I'll also try the socks on and see if I like them. When he wore these socks, he said to me, mommy, these are the best socks I have ever worn. They are amazing. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, they're so comfortable and my feet aren't sweaty and they don't smell. So these are wool socks. They are from a company called Darn Tough and they are made in, and it's such a cute pun and I love it. And they are made in, I believe, Vermont or New Hampshire out of locally sourced, as much locally sourced in the United States wool as can be. And... I think that a company like that, that is making a superior product where they are using local things, where things aren't being shipped from all over the world. And by the way, things that come from other parts of the world aren't always better. I mean, sometimes they are, but if you can get high quality local things, those are better than shipping stuff all over the world, right? We tried on these socks and they're amazing, right? Okay, so... To buy a 13-year-old, you know, 10 pairs of $11 socks, it gets kind of expensive, right? And not just my 13-year-old, myself, my husband, my my daughter, or my other son. It's, it's expensive to outfit people in socks. Okay, so these socks have a lifetime guarantee on them, which is crazy by itself, by the way. But like, even for me and my husband, let's say, okay, if we were to invest now in each of us having 10 pairs of socks that are never going to wear out... It seems like a good investment on the up, you know, up front because they're not supposed to wear out. I mean, obviously everything wears out, but if the lifespan of the sock is much better than an inferior quality sock, then it makes sense to spend a little more money so you have to replace your socks fewer times, right? Part of the reason why I think we have less time is because we are always saying to ourselves, oh, I need a new this or I need a new that. And we're not conscientious about, do we actually need that item? And, and or is it is it like a real need or is it just a want? And also, because we're buying inferior quality things, we have to replace the things that we have more often because they wear out more quickly. And so I want to just circle back a little bit. How does this relate to organization? I think that it's, you know, fairly obvious that when we are taking care of the earth, when we are buying better quality, things that will last us longer, things that are guaranteed to last longer, manufacturers don't want to have to send you new stuff, okay? So if they're guaranteeing their item, that means that it's going to be a better item. 
because they don't want to have to replace the item for you, right? Because then they lose money. When we are actually spending a little bit more to buy something that's a little bit better quality, we are actually doing what the Torah says. Not only that, but we are making our lives better. We are going to be managing our time better and we are going to stay more organized. $11 pairs of socks are not to me, I mean, I don't think $11 for a pair of socks is cheap. Maybe you do, and that's great, but I certainly don't think that $11 for a pair of socks is cheap. That being said, it does make a big difference when I don't have to replace those $11 socks every six months. <laughs> because right now, at the rate that my kids go through their socks, I am replacing their socks every six to eight months and it's crazy and that costs a lot of money too so yeah I bought six pairs for $12 let's say but if those socks only last six months and these $11 pairs last six years even that makes the spend better than if I if I would have bought the cheaper pairs you know five times or six times or ten times even and I think what we have to remember is is that a lot of times we trade time for money. We say that these paper plates or plastic plates, you know, save us time so we're willing to trade money for time. But in the long run, they cost us a lot more than if we would have just washed the dishes. And not only that, but I think what we're doing by by throwing away our by like eating dinner and then throwing away whatever's left over is we're saying to our kids that we live in this disposable society where things don't matter and we can always replace things. And I feel like the logical next step for kids to go to is we can replace things whenever we want. Can we replace people whenever we want? And I think that this is very, very, I mean, this is a whole other discussion, but I think that this is a very true and and in the moment point that uh, we feel a lot of the times, I mean, it might not be on the obvious up up in our forefront of our minds, but I think a lot of times we treat people as disposable too, even people in our lives. I see the way husbands and wives talk to each other during a session and I'm shocked. I know that it's like a... it's a very tense thing to decide what you're going to keep and what you're going to toss. But it's like, be kind to each other, right? You want to go through all the trouble of getting divorced? I can't. It's so amazing to me. It's just so amazing to me how I look at these sort of relationships with people and I think like, oh my goodness, you just think this other person is disposable. You marry them for a reason. You must have seen something in in them. And now you think that they're like garbage that you could just throw them away and talk to them like they're nothing. And for me, I think that's the next logical step. We can throw away our stuff. We can throw away people in our lives. And I think that that is already happening. Washing the dishes doesn't have to be a solitary activity. You don't have to do it by yourself. Your kids can do it with you. Do you think I don't ask my kids 16 times to do things with me? A hundred percent I do. (laughs) But the point is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. And once we're all standing there and I'm washing and they're drying and my husband's putting away the food and they're putting the dishes away, when we're all working together, it's a little less stressful. It's much, much faster. 
And it's family time that we're together. And it says to my family, you are important to me. I, I, it was important enough that we ate on real plates and that we had a family dinner. And it was important to me that, you know, we spend time a little bit more, even if it's only five more minutes, cleaning up together because those five minutes with you are precious. And even if you all are going into the other room afterwards and watching TV or playing video games or reading or playing or whatever you're doing, you know, getting ready for bed, whatever the situation is after dinner, the fact of the matter is, is that it's still time spent together. And one of the things that struck me is I had the unfortunate, uh, I had the unfortunate ability to pay a shiva call this week to a very good friend of mine who lost her child. And one of the things that strikes me about sitting shiva is that you can't do anything else. <laughs> you have to just sit there. <laughs> you wait for other people to do things for you. And you create this connection with other people. And you allow other people to make you important. And you allow these other people to become more important to you. You need each other more. We need you so we can do the mitzvah to be Menachem level. And they need us so that they can sit shiva like they're supposed to where they're not supposed to be doing anything, right? And it's quality time for them. It's time where they're sitting with somebody saying, I'm here with you. I, I, I am listening to you and I am paying attention to you. And I feel like that happens so rarely in our day-to-day -day lives. On the days that I don't see clients, I like to sleep till 7.30, I'll be totally honest. My kids are pretty much self-sufficient in the morning. They can get their own breakfast and, uh, you know, they can pack up their lunch bags. And, and sometimes my husband takes the train to work and leaves me the car. And then, you know, I have to drive the kids to school. And I really don't like it. <laughs> and I really don't want to do it. And most of the, you know, it means I got to cover my hair and go outside and, you know, be dressed and <laughs> all these things I'm not really necessarily ready to do at, at seven o'clock in the morning or 730 in the morning. But when I'm in the car with my kid, I really, really treasure that time with them. Even if they're being in a totally obnoxious mood and they're being rude and they're just blah, 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 you know, being disgusting. <laughs> I still feel like, oh my gosh, I'm really lucky that I'm sitting here with you right now. And I know my husband's going to use that, <laughs> be like, well, you said you like to sit in the car with them, right? I do. I like to spend time with my kids. And I am actually, and people don't know this about me, but I think that I'm actually an introverted extrovert which means I am friendly and outgoing and I don't mind being in a crowd if I'm already in it, but I don't like actually going to be in a crowd and I prefer to be by myself. And so it's actually really hard for me to, you know, put myself in a social situation and I, I work very hard to overcome that and I put myself in social situations a lot of times because I want to overcome that and I, and once I'm in this situation, I'm fine, but it's like, oh, I have to do this? Oh my goodness, I can't, I can't, I can't be bothered, blah, blah, blah. I 
am okay once I'm in the situation. And so for me, I would really rather spend time by myself because to me, that's the way I regenerate and that's the way I think about new things and that's the way I move forward in my day to day. That's the way I can, you know, make progress for myself. But when I'm talking to my kids or when I'm driving them to school or taking them to a, an appointment or the other day I was lucky enough to have breakfast with my daughter because I had to take her to an appointment and we had time before the appointment and it was nice and we didn't have like a ton to say to each other we weren't being so chatty but we enjoyed our breakfast together and we were just sitting in each other's company and it was just a really nice fabulous feeling and I guess my point is is that okay it's true some of these things save us time and maybe some of these things even save us money. Although with paper plates, I don't think they do. But okay, maybe some of these things save us money. But how are we using the time that we save? And that is an organizational point too. Time management is important. But if you're going to be saving this time, what are you doing with that time? I think that that's a really important question. What are you doing with the time you save by damaging the earth and using up its resources? There will... I believe that we will always have what we need. I do believe that. That doesn't mean that getting what we need isn't hurting somebody or something else and that we shouldn't be conscientious about the resources that we are using up to get what we need. And if we lower our bar a little bit, if we decide we need a little bit less and we learn to turn what we have into being happy with what we have, not just needing more, if we actually learn to be thrilled with what we have, to find the value in all the things that we have, to curate the best collection of stuff that we have, to live with only what we need, I think that we will all be a lot happier. So for Tu B'Shvat this year, for the Jewish new year of the trees, I am asking all of you to figure out a way where you can find happiness from what you already have. I want to just talk about a few things that I do in my house to tribute to the earth and things that have really helped us uh, reduce our waste. We compost. We don't throw any organic waste, any fruit or vegetable waste really, into the garbage. We have a compost bin outside and it saves us a ton of, it saves us time. We don't take the garbage out as much. We try to buy things in as little packaging as possible. It saves us time. We don't take out the recycling as much. We try to do laundry on colder washes and instead of using the dryer for longer, we make the spin cycle a little bit higher. We don't use fabric softener, we use vinegar. Instead of using laundry detergent, I use just a teaspoon of dish soap. It's actually fabulous. We use dryer balls in our laundry machine, which helps keep clothes more less stuck together and the airflow moving more freely in between clothes. We don't use plastic bags. We use reusable bags at the grocery store for both the actual packaging at the end of, you know, when you're doing the checkout, plus for wrapping up fruits and vegetables and grains. My husband and I carpool to work many days of the week. Uh, we have gotten rid of our second car. <laughs> uh, we drive a hybrid car. 
when we can, we take trains and buses and other public transportation, to be honest, in Israel anyways. Taking the train is usually faster. <laughs> we don't use uh, single-use disposables in our home. I always carry a reusable fork. Uh, I, I carry like a, a foldable fork that has little tines at the end, so it's like a spoon and a fork together. I also carry a set of bamboo uh, cutlery with me. A metal straw, I carry a handkerchief with me, and I carry reusable bags with me. So in a pinch, I don't need to use plastic bags. I can always use a bag I already have. I try to never go to the mall so that I'm not tempted to go shopping. If I want to buy something, I put it in my shopping cart online, and I leave it there for a day or two days or three days, and then I go back to it, and then I decide if I really want it or not. We're conscientious about how we use the heating and air conditioning and the type of light bulbs that we use, in addition to making sure that we're turning the lights off after we're leaving the room. We put our water heater on a timer so that it we don't forget to turn it off, which was a big source of waste for us for a long time. And those are just some of the things. I'm sure there's a lot more things that we do that we don't even notice really that we do. But those are just a few of the things that we do. And it sounds like, you know, crazy, right? <laughs> we're crazy. But we're not. And we don't recycle as much as most people do because we just have less to recycle. Recycling is just a band-aid. It's not actually going to fix the problem. Half the stuff we put in the recycling bin can't be recycled anyways because it's oftentimes not recycled it's not actually, even though it has the recycling symbol on it, it isn't something that is actually recycled at our local facilities. Educate yourselves about what can be recycled locally for you. Be conscientious about what kind of thing packaging you're buying things in. Be conscientious of overbuying. Shop with a list. Shop with intention. Shop with purpose. And try to do things as a family that normally take you a long time as an individual so you can spend less time doing onerous tasks and time with your family so that the onerous task isn't as bad. If you need help decluttering so that you have more time, please join the Painless Pesach 36 day challenge. This year it's shorter, it starts March 1st. It's only 36 days, there will be a bonus um, afterwards after Pesach to manage papers called the Paper Purge. That uh, it's $36, and what you get is a video or access to the hotline where you will get a daily recording or a daily video uh, to your email with a challenge for the day. The videos are one to two minutes long, or the recordings are one to two minutes long, and the challenge will take you between 15 and 20 minutes to get done. The course costs $36. You can use the code SAVE18, all in capitals, at checkout right now until February 23rd to save $18, which makes the course $18. So you get 36 days for $18. It's a really good deal. The challenge is really great. Last year's students really loved the challenge. They said they did so great last year that they have managed to maintain their success for at least the whole year, which is amazing. I hope that you join the challenge because I think that it will get you to the sitter, relaxed and calm and feeling in control of your life and not feeling worn out like a shmata. So please head to courses.balaganbegone.com forward slash 36 days and join the Painless Pesach challenge today. I wish you all a great week and happy organizing. 
Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.